Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. How can you gain God's favor? Why would a holy God have anything to do with unholy people. The question is, how can a holy God tolerate our unholiness? How can you somehow gain His acceptance? How can mankind somehow have peace with God? How can we be reconciled to a holy God? Now, this is the question that all religions in the world ask and seek to answer. The picture you have before you, these Hindus are bathing in the Ganges River for the purpose of washing away their sins. These men are convinced... These guys are convinced that by washing in this filthy river, they are in some way washing away their sins. In the next picture, we have some Buddhist monks who are meditating for the purpose of gaining approval with their gods. Next, we have some more Hindus praying to their many thousands of gods for the purpose of somehow gaining their favor, somehow gaining acceptance by these gods. The next picture is we have Some Muslim men going through one of what's called the five pillars of Islam. And since Islam is in the news so much, I'm going to spend just a few more minutes on Islam and what the Muslim thinks he can do and must do if he's going to gain God's acceptance, God's approval. Five things. First is their profession of faith. That Allah is God and Muhammad is his prophet. But that's not enough. Then they've got to do their prayers five times a day, as you know, facing toward Mecca. They must do their prayers. And along with these prayers, there are certain memorized portions of it. There are certain washings that go along with this. Uh, But here you see them doing their prayers. In addition to their prayers and their profession, they believe you must give alms. You must help the poor. And so that is a part of their earning God's acceptance. And in addition to that, there must also be the fasting during the month of Ramadan where they don't eat or drink anything during the daylight hours for that whole month. Again, by doing this, they think they're gaining God's acceptance, somehow undoing their sinfulness. And then the fifth pillar is the pilgrimage to Mecca, that every Muslim who is able uh, is to make this pilgrimage. 
And he has to do it during the twelfth month. And there are certain things he has to do during this pilgrimage. These are the five pillars of Islam. But Islam is simply trying to answer the question, how can I be accepted? How can I gain Allah's favor? But then again, you have people who are trying to gain God's favor by joining a church, as we see in our next picture. Or there are people who think they can gain God's favor by being baptized. Now, you didn't have any problems with the first section, did you? But what about this? I dare say we all know some people who think, well, you've got to be baptized to go to heaven. You've got to be baptized to be saved. That somehow being baptized earns God's acceptance, earns God's favor. Or joining a church in some way makes you acceptable to God. Because you see, every religion won't answer that, question, answer that question. What can I do to have peace with God? And all religions except Christianity answer it with human achievement, something you must do. But Christianity alone answers the question with divine accomplishment. And that brings us to our text today in Colossians chapter 1 as we look at the incomparable Christ the great reconciler. The question is, how can I be reconciled to God? The answer is, you cannot do anything yourself. God must do everything. That you cannot reconcile yourself to God, but the good news is, God has reconciled you to Himself through Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at Jesus, the great reconciler. Now look in Colossians chapter 1. We'll be looking in verses 21 and 22. Stand, if you will, in respect for the Word of God, and let me read for you. Paul says, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet... He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. You may be seated. Now today we're going to be considering three things. First of all, why do we need Christ, the great reconciler? Secondly, what means did Christ accomplish our reconciliation. And then thirdly, what are the results of Christ's work of reconciliation? The need, the means, and the results. We see it in this passage. First of all, why do we need Christ, the great reconciler? Verse 21 says, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. Now, you can break down the need in three areas. I admit it's an oversimplification, but I think it will help us understand why we need to be reconciled to God. First of all, because the anger of God is upon us. The wrath, the anger, the holy hatred of God over sin is upon us. The word that Paul uses is the word alienated. This word means to be estranged. 
It means to belong to another. Now, the verb tense shows it is a continuous action. It is because of our ungodliness and disobedience that we are alienated from God. God's holiness, God's justice demands His wrath, His holy hatred be poured out on all that which is unholy and ungodly. Over in Colossians chapter 3, Paul mentions this when he says there in verse 5, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality and impurity and passion, evil desire and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Look in verse 6. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. God's wrath is God's holy hatred over sin. We have got to remember, as much as God loves holiness, as much as He loves righteousness, He must equally hate unholiness and unrighteousness. It stands within His character that He must react in a negative way to sin as much as He reacts positively to righteousness. And so the Scripture is clear that men, women, boys and girls are born into this human race and because of our sinfulness, because of our ungodliness, we stand under the holy anger of God. Next, we are helpless to remove God's wrath. Not only are we under it, but we can't do anything to get rid of it. Not all the washing in the Ganges River, not all the prayers you might say, not all the meditation you might do, none of that is going to remove God's holy wrath. Over in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, it says, For while we were still helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. We're helpless. We're helpless because the Scripture says the best deeds we can do, think of the best thing you can do. Think of the most righteous thing you can do. Think you might be praying all day. You think it might be fasting. You think it might be studying your Bible all day. You think it might be giving everything you have to the poor. What's the most righteous thing you think you can do? What God says is nothing but a filthy rag compared to His righteousness. That's all it is. Just a filthy rag. That's why you and I are helpless to remove God's wrath from us. Because the best thing we can do is still filth in His eyes. If we're going to have peace with God, if we're going to be reconciled to God, somehow God's holy wrath must be removed from us. His holy anger must somehow be satisfied. Second need. We need to be reconciled to God. We need the great reconciler because we commit sins. Paul says, engaged in evil deeds. If we're going to have peace with God, sin and its work in creation and its work in man must be defeated. It was a sin problem that started the entire mass. For the Bible says we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
The Bible speaks about sin reigning as a monarch in our lives. In fact, Jesus Himself said, over in John 8, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And so we need the great reconciler because we are slaves of sin. That means we can't free ourselves. That means that sin reigns as an absolute king in the lives of people. And if we're going to be reconciled to God, somehow, some way, this sin problem has to be dealt with. The power of sin has to be broken over us if we're ever going to have peace with God. If we're ever going to have God's favor. So the first thing, we can see is that we are alienated from God. Secondly, we commit sins. Thirdly, we're God-haters. Our host- we are hostile toward God. Paul says again in verse 21, and hostile in mind. Now, this word hostile in the Greek is translated in some places enemy. It means hatred. And because of our sinfulness, we have a hostility, a hatred toward God. What does Romans 5.10 say? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. While we were yet enemies, God-haters... Now, you may be thinking, I didn't hate God. (laughs) I've grown up in the church, preacher. I grew up in the Christian family. I never hated God. Well, that's what you say. But God says you did. You see, I think our standard of what it means to oppose God and to hate God is so much lower than God's absolute holy standard that you and I don't even realize that we hate God before we come to Christ. What is an act of willful sin? What is an act of disregard for God, but an act of treason, an act of of hatred? Just not to care about God with the utmost love. And what's He worthy of? Your absolute, most, highest, greatest devotion and love and more. So anything less than that, I think God sees as apart from Christ, our hearts are in hostility and hatred for him. A man without Christ is a God-hater. So, if we're going to be reconciled to God, if we're going to have peace with God, somehow this hatred in my heart toward God's got to be dealt with. Right? Okay, where are we now? Why do we need the great reconciler? First, because the anger of God is on us. We're alienated. Secondly, because we commit sins. We're engaged in evil deeds. And thirdly, because we're hostile toward God. 
hostile in mind. We are God-haters. That's where mankind stands apart from Christ. That's why we need the great reconciler. Now, next question. How did Christ accomplish our reconciliation? By what means did He use? In verse 22, Yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death. Now first, I want you to clearly know that Christ has reconciled us to Himself. It's not something we have done. He reconciled you. What we were not able to do, He Himself did. Now I want you to look at this word reconciled. This word is only used in Colossians and in one other place, and only by Paul. In fact, Paul kind of coined this word. Paul would do that. If it wasn't a word in the Greek language that satisfied and said what he wanted it to say, he'd make up a word. And he kind of did it in this. He took the word for reconcile, and he added a prefix to it to mean thoroughly, completely. And we kind of do this in the English when we put super at the beginning of something, right? You can wash your car and it'd be clean. But if you get every spot, every bit of dirt off of it, it's super clean. All right. Well, this is kind of what Paul does here. He says he has super reconciled us to God. He has completely reconciled us to God. Now, the word reconcile in itself means to change from enmity to friendship. It means to bridge over a separation. It means to remove the barrier between two people. People need to be reconciled because there is a barrier. There is enmity. There is a division and separation between them. And you and I know what that separation was. It's sin. It's our hatred for God. It's His holy wrath on us. In order for us to be reconciled to God, that which is keeping us apart must be dealt with. And so when Jesus reconciled us to Himself, He dealt with the very things that were keeping us apart from God. And He reconciles us completely by removing all enmity and leaving no barriers to unity and peace. Paul is saying that God Himself has completely removed all the enmity between Himself and His chosen ones and has left no impediment to unity and to peace. But how? How did He accomplish this? First, His wrath was removed through the death of Christ. The death of Jesus was a sacrifice for us. Paul says, reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. When Jesus took our sins upon himself at the cross, God turned his holy anger toward us upon the Lord Jesus. Paul says over in 2 Corinthians, He made him who knew no sin to become sin, on our behalf. Jesus took our place. He was our substitute. He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin on our behalf. Jesus took our place 
on the cross. And when He took our sin upon Himself, God took the anger, His holy wrath over my sin, and He placed it on Jesus Christ. Because God's holiness, God's justice demands that sin be punished. And His mercy said, I will receive that punishment upon Myself. And so at the cross, the justice, the righteousness, and the mercy of God meet. As He turned His holy wrath on the Lord Jesus, and He was satisfied. His wrath burned itself out. That day when Jesus hung on the cross. All the holy wrath that would be poured out on me in hell, in eternal hell, was poured out on Jesus during those three hours on the cross. You and I cannot fathom the intensity of that wrath being poured out on the Lord Jesus. Just think about being poured out for me. All the wrath that I deserved and would have been poured out on me for eternity. Add to that all of His chosen ones, His wrath being poured out on the Lord Jesus. But God saw Christ's perfect sacrifice and His wrath was satisfied. His justice, His holy requirements were met in the Lord Jesus. And therefore, He can look at me and be satisfied. Over in Romans 3.25, it says, Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. Now, I know that word propitiation is not a word you use in normal conversation. It's a good word, though. I want to explain it to you. It means to appease, to satisfy someone's anger, by the payment of a price. Jesus satisfied God's holy anger by the death of Himself upon that cross. And so the love and the justice of God were satisfied when the sinless Jesus died for us. And so the wrath problem is solved. God took His wrath on me and he placed it on the Lord Jesus. Secondly, that leaves the sin problem. The sin problem was defeated through his fleshly body. One of the reasons Jesus had to become a man was so he could live as a man and live a perfect life. And because he lived a perfect life, do you know what he did? He defeated sin. Jesus said, he who commits sin is a slave of sin. Jesus never sinned. He was not a slave of sin. In fact, the Scripture says that the power of sin is the law. Jesus never broke the law. He fulfilled the law completely. And in so doing, He defeated sin. If Satan could have gotten Jesus just to commit one small sin, then the power of sin would not have been broken. Sin would have won. But because of Christ's absolute sinlessness, He broke the power of sin when He died upon 
that cross. Over in Romans 6, 6, Paul says that in some way when Christ was crucified on the cross, that we, his people, were crucified with him. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. That word done away with means to be rendered powerless. It means its power has been broken so that we no longer be slaves to sin. We were a slave of sin. And because of that, we were engaged in evil deeds and we were separated from God. But Jesus came, lived a perfect life, committed no sin, took my place on the cross, and in so doing, broke the power of sin. In some way, I was even crucified with Him, and the power of sin was broken in my life, in the life of His people. And so you see, what separated me, the sin problem, Christ dealt with through His perfect life on earth and His death. Paul says over in Romans 10, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. What does that mean? That means that Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus fulfilled the law completely, remember? Well, what does He do? When I place my faith in Him, He gives me that complete righteousness. He says, I'll give you my fulfillment of the law. I will, in me, when you're in Christ... God sees me as completely fulfilling the law, just like Jesus did. And so Christ is the fulfillment of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. What I could not do, He did. He lived the perfect life. So I place my faith in Him. God credits me with that perfect righteousness of Christ. And so I'm not a slave of sin anymore. God has broken the power of sin through his, Christ, His Son's fleshly body's death for me. Well, that brings us to the third thing. And that is, what about our hostility toward God? Well, through the blood, God has given us a new heart. You see, our hostility was removed and we were given new hearts. In fact, the Old Testament promised a day when God would establish a new covenant with His people as we see over in Ezekiel. Now look at this promise through the prophet. Moreover, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. When Jesus died on the cross, His blood cut a new covenant between God and His people. Remember what Jesus said at the Last Supper? And He took the cup after He had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. It is through the blood of Jesus that the new life, eternal life, is secured as the Holy Spirit comes within us, changing our hostility to love toward God. As Paul says over in Romans, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. 
All right? Let's summarize again. God has reconciled us to Himself. God's anger on us was removed through Jesus' death. The power of sin was broken through Jesus' perfect life and death. Our hate-filled heart is replaced with a new heart filled with love for God. Now that brings us to the last question. What are the results of being reconciled? Paul says in verse 22, He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. First, holy. We're holy. Holy means separate. We are separated unto God. What caused God's wrath to be poured out on you in the first place? Your sin, right? And the wrath of God is poured out on all ungodliness, Romans says. Well, guess what? God's taken your sin away, and what has He given you? Holiness. The very thing that caused the wrath has been removed. You see the perfect parallelism in this passage? The wrath that we deserve, the wrath that was poured upon us because of our sin, He's reconciled us, He's removed it, and replaced it with holiness. Now, rather than being separate from God, we are separated unto God. Holiness means to be separate. We are separate unto God now. He's completely reversed the condition that we had when He reconciled us. Secondly, we are blameless. You remember, committing sins was a problem. Engage in evil deeds. Well, how? <laughs> What's he done? He's made us blameless now. We are without spot or blemish. No flaws at all. He does not see us as sinful. He sees us as blameless. That's what the reconciler has done for us. We've gone from being engaged in evil deeds to being blameless. Hallelujah. And then thirdly, we're beyond reproach. We go from being one who was hostile to God, one who is a God-hater, to being one who no one can lay a charge against us and make it stick. That's what it means to be beyond reproach. That means if someone accuses you of something, that if it is investigated and looked into, it will be found out that you're innocent. That it was not a trustworthy accusation. It was not founded. And so we go from being a hater of God to one that no one can lay a charge against us and make it stick. That's what He has accomplished when He reconciled us. Here I put it before you, so hopefully you can see it. God's anger on us we were estranged from God. That was a problem. Jesus reconciled us to God, and the result is we are holy, and we're separated for God. We were from separated from Him. Now we're separated for Him. Next, we were engaged in evil deeds. Jesus reconciled us to God. The result, we're blameless now, without spot. Going from being sinful to being blameless. And then thirdly, we are God-haters. Jesus reconciles us to God. 
And now we are beyond reproach. We are lovers of God. He's taken that heart filled with hate and He's changed it to a heart filled with love. You and I couldn't do this. All religions of the world are trying to accomplish this. They can't do it. Only Christianity says God has accomplished it. Your great reconciler, the Lord Jesus, the incomparable Christ. Doesn't it make you just want to praise Him? Doesn't it make you just want to say, Thank you, Jesus? Man, He took me a hater of Him and sinful and under His holy wrath and made me holy and blameless and beyond reproach. He did it. I don't deserve it. No. I can't earn it. No. He reconciled us to Himself. Let's pray. Will you just spend a moment just worshiping Him? Just thanking Him for being that great reconciler. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for Your willingness to to take on humanity, to withstand the temptations of Satan, to live that perfect life, to take my place on the cross, to take my sin upon Yourself, that I could be reconciled you might remove the barriers between God and me. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Perhaps today you realize you've never been reconciled to God. Maybe you have tried church membership tried baptism, tried other things, but you realize that it's been things you've tried. And you realize today that that's not the way. You can never achieve peace with God. But He's accomplished it for you. If you'll come and place your faith in what Christ accomplished, receive Him as your Lord and Savior, you can... No peace with God. This is your heart's desire. Would you step out as we sing? If you need to come and pray, you feel free to do that as well. Let's stand together as we sing.